reading this morning. This is from the 18th Sutta of the Middle Length Saying, Madhupindika, the Honey Ball. A few extracts and the scene is set where the Buddha is walking and he meets a sophist who asks him what his teachings are. And um, the Buddha says, Friend, I assert and proclaim with such a teaching that one does not quarrel with anyone in the world, with its gods, its maras, its brahmas, in this generation with its recluses and brahmins, its princes and people. Such a teaching that perceptions no more underlie that brahmin who abides detached from sense pleasures without perplexity, shorn of worry, free from craving for any kind of being. So he says, I proclaim a teaching that does not quarrel with anyone in the world. A teaching whereby perceptions no more underlie the mind, someone who's detached from sense pleasures, without perplexity, shorn of worry, free from craving for any kind of being. Sophist Dandapana doesn't really get this and shakes his head, wanders off. (laughs) And so the Buddha then talks to the monks and they ask him what this teaching is. And he says, as to the source through its perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation, who said to man, if nothing is found there to delight in, welcome and hold to, this is the end of the underlying tendency to passion, to aversion, to views, to doubt, to conceit the underlying tendency to desire for being something, the tendency to ignorance. This is the end of resorting to rods and weapons, of quarrels, brawls, disputes, recrimination, malice and false speech. Here these evil, unwholesome states cease without remainder. As to the source through which perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation, we said to man, women of course, same, if nothing is found there to delight in, welcome and hold to, this is the end of the underlying tendency to raga, passion, lust, the underlying tendency to aversion, dosa, the underlying tendency to views, to doubt, to conceit, to desire for being something, tendency to ignorance, it's the end of quarrels, false speech, and so on. So then he goes into his dwelling place and the monks are kind of ruminating over that and they seek some explanation and they ask Mahakachana to 
given the explanation. <laughs> so Mahakachana says, well, dependent on the I and forms, I consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact. With contact is condition, there is feeling. What one feels, that one perceives. What one perceives, that one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. With what one has mentally proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation, we set a man with respect to past, future and present forms cognizable through the eye. And he goes on through each of the sense bases, concluding with mind. And by this we mean mano, which is the mind that um, conceives, deals with organizing sensory phenomena. And its action is called attention, manasikara. It begins to, it gives focus. So when the eye sees something, the mind says, look at that person's face. You know, or something like that. You know, so it, it directs, it forms a, a ring around something you want to focus on. That's called attention. That's the function of manas. It does that with the other senses, and of course, it does it with its own base. So we bring something to mind. You know, so it's manas. Let me think. All the things that could be thought about. Past, future, present, self, other, speculation, you know, this one. It chooses a particular object and focuses on that. That's attention. And it's driven by intention. And intention is the, is the action of citta. Chitana, intention, impulse, directive, choice, comes from citta, inclination, feeling. Desire, wishing to make something better, searching for focus, searching for happiness, searching for gratification, searching to make something work. All kinds of different intentions arise and they will then steer what the mind, manas, focuses on. And that what you focus on then gives rise to contact, right? And then that contact gives rise to feeling. Feeling starts stirring things up. As we notice, you know, why we're very careful about attention, what we give attention to, what you give attention to, will give you input. And that will contact, and that will stir things up. So it doesn't mean we don't have contact, we're just careful about it. What's useful, what's appropriate, what's conducive, what's irrelevant. And contact as a condition, feeling arises. Mm. Pleasant, unpleasant. Mm. These two bases, one is physical feeling, mostly it's mental feeling. Mm occurs and then that 
feeling, then there's a kind of stirring, and then the mind starts, oh, what's this, how's that, what's this, less of that, could it be this, could it, you know, it starts moving, and proliferates, you know, to unpleasant feeling, why it shouldn't happen, how, it, how I don't want it, whose fault it is, um, how long I'm going to be with it, and so forth. You know, particularly, you know, and so the mind can just be focusing on, of course, that which is unpleasant. Chitta is moved by that, so it gives it attention. So we can get very much embroiled in our worries and concerns, regrets and recriminations, doubts and guilt and aversion and lust and craving. Because Chitta is perplexed. Not clearly guided, therefore, it just throws a loop of attention, gets the manas to keep focusing on things that give it strong, stirring feeling, sometimes unpleasant and sometimes pleasant. And in the nature of attention, is it's mostly about screening out other details. Yeah. So, with attention, you focus on 5% and ignore 95%. And so this can be very obsessive. And uh, we all live in our own separate attention modes, things that I notice or my mind picks up that yours doesn't and so on. Even in the external world, let alone internally, in the mind. So encouraging, notice what you don't notice, like actually... Just relax the loop of attention. Notice what doesn't seem so intensely important or fantastic or horrible. Just the neutrality, space, silence, movement. On the senses, and certainly we create monasteries with that in mind. So this very hall itself, you know, you know, I was mentioning the other day how the walls are quite carefully uh, uh, covered. So they're a kind of a neutral tone, they're not bright white, because that would be too, felt too strong, too hard, clinical, gives too strong a sense of definition. And when it's dark, See if something's kind of neutral, vaguely sandy. And it took quite a lot of effort to get the right mix of lime and different kinds of sand to get the right coloration that would just be kind of neutral, not bright. It's kind of indifferent. (laughs) And even the texture, the texture slightly rough. If it's too shiny and polished, it would glow. It also show up stains as it is. It's kind of, yeah, those sharp edges, all the edges are rounded. It's kind of a place where the walls don't stand out. That's the idea, less boxed in. So it's a kind of softer boundary visually. A lot of space within the hall. Soft boundary, a lot of space 
are. That's calm. Hard boundary, no space, intense. Soft boundary, space, calm. Ah, feeling of freedom, lightness. Ah, that's that's what it's about. That's called that. This is because it's a meditation hall. It's not an office. You know. So you construct it in a way that will, as best as possible, support contact that gives rise to either no feeling, because you don't even notice it, or neutral feeling. And so probably most of the time you don't even notice it, which is good. But then notice that you don't notice it. And that sense of a mind just, it's not good, it's not bad, it's not pleasant, it's not unpleasant, it's just not a topic. Oh, mind, oh, nothing to proliferate around. Mind sort of stops, doesn't do it. Nothing to measure. That's good. That's what we want. We want absence of that measuring, comparing mind. Now I'm sure, you know, with a bit of work on it, we could get into comparisons about the walls, but um, <laughs> they probably don't leap up. The space in the room, you know, you could say, well, it's not spacious enough for it. Yeah. Basically, if you're aware of space is the largest ingredient in the whole, <laughs> and rest on that, give attention, to it, then the, the forms within it no longer seem so intense or eye-grabbing or consume. Yeah, that's calm. It's not a lie. It's true, isn't it? But you don't notice the space. You may notice this person present or why is he not here? He should be here. <laughs> what does she think she's doing? You know, you can notice all those things or you can just notice the space. And that's not true, isn't it? It's actually incredibly true. But what predominates is what I can get some action going on. Yeah. That's the underlying tendency. To aversion, or to passion, or to conceit. Conceit, comparing oneself. He's never here, she's always here. He sits well, he doesn't sit well. I sit better, you know, conceiving. Conceiving people out of what forms that arise in the eye. And just upon that... You can create a whole personal drama that sits in the heart, stirs it up. You walk out and it's still sitting there. And you're going to be walking in your life, you've probably got lots of these people sitting in there, still 
worrying about them, grieving over them, getting annoyed by them, longing for them. And so then this internal proliferation acts like an avalanche, builds up, and the person is then overwhelmed. Because they didn't take care to see things as they actually are. To monitor attention and to monitor intention. Of which we both, we can have say in both of them. But most profoundly, since we do have to, well, most of the time, see things, hear things, touch things, create attention around this is, we want this to happen, not that to happen. I want to be this place, not that place. I'm going to focus on this thing and not that thing. Attention is kind of built in as a necessary function in the realm of sense consciousness. Intention, you've got some say over that. Do things with a impetuous mind or a measured mind. Calmed, steady, excitable, reluctant, full of views and opinions about whether you should do it or shouldn't do it, right or wrong. Passion, aversion, doubt, views and opinions. Saturate the chitta. I don't see why I should have to chant. I don't see why I should have to sit here. I don't see why I should have to do that. It's not. This isn't right to be this. It's not fair to do that. And is there ever an end made to that particular tendency? Not through following it. Views and opinions. So, you know, we want to say, okay, is it necessary? Maybe sometimes it is, but how necessary is it? You know, because this is where the quarrels and the disturbances get created. over latent tendencies taking over the chitta, the heart, awareness, and intention, one's intentions are then driven, resistance, compulsion, separation. I want to be just me not the same as everybody else. I don't want to just be a brick in the wall. This is very much a, a mindset that we're getting into in this day and age. It's a kind of late romantic <laughs> sense. You know, every person for themselves, think for yourself, be independent, and so forth. And, uh, yeah. Okay, that one's running. Better than just blind conformist. That's another view. But when we look in the world in general, we see there is no end to the conflicts. 
conflicts with other people, conflicts, inner conflict, religious conflict, political conflict, environmental conflict, quarrels, disputes, recriminations. Because still there's a holding on to a view, uh, and the need to form a view, so I will be an independent person. And this fallacy does not pertain. There is no independent person. Everyone arises dependent upon mother, father, earth, air, water, fire, food, breathing in, breathing out. <laughs> Everyone arises dependent on a particular social matrix they arise within. Um, there are no real boundaries. So the fallacy of the independent individual is a particular fallacy that we're prone to and hold mostly to defend ourselves against other people or to hold on to our own psychological, personal, physical territory. This is all understandable. It doesn't work. That's all. <laughs> because it's always it ends up forming conflicts with others and then one is in a state of stress and stirring up in the heart why this sense of our overlining intention is is it possible to harmonize yeah to respect the inclination and form a, a harmony harmony is not the same as conformity harmony means that the violin and the trumpet are not the same but they're playing the same tune so yeah doesn't have to be conflict. It can be tuning into the same theme. Theme we cultivate: integrity, goodwill, kindness, calm, respect. There are our culture and paying careful attention and being very scrupulous about our intentions, the impulses and attitudes, the views and the passions and the aversions that arise within the chitta, and being circumspect to restrain them, to investigate them, to disband them. And that's for our welfare and welfare of others. So this is then an end to the proliferations. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, in this particular discourse, the Bhagavad takes it a little further he says, well, you know, where there is no I, no form and no I consciousness, it's impossible to point out the manifestation of contact. So close your eyes. You may retain mental ideas of people, but actually the eye doesn't see anyone. So this is very obvious. Problem is, you know, for most people, the mind, the mano doesn't close. Where there is mind and mind consciousness, then there is the manifestation of contact. So often the teachings recommend the cessation of mind consciousness, which may sound like oblivion, but uh, it's not the cessation of chitta. There can be awareness of the mind not attending, not conceiving, 
it's ceased. It doesn't mean it can't arise again. It just means it's not flaring up. Just as we can close our eyes, we can also, if you like, close the mind. Don't have to have an opinion. Don't have to give that attention. Don't have to create a focus around that particular topic. To that degree, mind has ceased. There's awareness of that. (laughs) Awareness is there, jitter is there, aware that that particular mind, mental topic, it's not good, not bad, just doesn't happen. This is not actually that remote possibility. I imagine it can occur for most of us. We don't notice it. I haven't thought about marmalade in years. <laughs> Could be a hot topic for some people. You could say to that extent, it ceased. And some things, you know, particularly in terms of uh, administration technology, there is no no mind. It just doesn't get it. <laughs> it doesn't. Nothing arises. Just a sense of. Uh, the extent we can say, yeah, but this is not a particular development, it's just that's the nature of the measuring mind. It does stop, it does have limits, yeah, but you don't notice it. You notice instead where it's creating boundaries and throwing your chitta into it, and your chitta's fondling chewing it over, regurgitating it, you know, creating people and entities and self and other and future and past out of it. So in this sense, something has not been ceased. And so now we're not looking at specific topics, you know, such as, you know, the nature of quantum mechanics, but just the very function of can can that focus of attention relax? So it's not framing anything up. And in direct meditation practice, then this is possible. There's no boundary. Measureless mind, appamano. And so one of the uh, ways of doing this is to really upgrade the chitta <laughs> intentions. Yeah, so you work on intentionality, the intentionality of loving kindness is called a measureless, no boundary. It reaches out, it doesn't retract from beings, from people from men, from women, from creatures, from it doesn't retract, it doesn't avert, it doesn't prickle, it just sweeps over them with a sense of may that be well. In that extent, there's no boundary created. And the Buddha and all the Arahants say this is to be encouraged. It's obviously good for other creatures, but even more pertinent right now, it's good for your own mind to just relax those boundaries and what you can relax it with is the quality of goodwill. When it comes around to functioning and organizing we have to say oh this is for so and so because he does that 
I'm sorry, you're not capable of doing that, so you do this. So you create boundaries. But in terms of loving kindness, you don't need to. Just how does that feel? Oh, yeah, really, yeah. Good. <laughs> and uh, even more pertinent, do you notice just how when we do create these boundaries, then you become the boundary setter. And it means you've got to manage it and hold it and maybe even defend it and make it work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, this is, you know, you're not supposed to come in here at this time. Yes, I know you want to, but it's not appropriate. This is where the monks live. You shouldn't, you know, just... <laughs> and then there's the dog running around again, and there's the... <laughs> so you go, uh, you know, if I make, make my, if I make an identity out of this particular function, I'm going to suffer. So even with management, it's okay, well, I create the boundaries and patiently, okay. Otherwise, I become a constant policeman. I don't want to be that, you know. So the nature of this is then a self gets generated dependent upon the particular way we hold a boundary. And stuck with that. So yes, yeah. These are these are big topics for people, actually. Personal boundaries, territory, beliefs. Positions, identities, who gets to say what happens and doesn't happen, power, big big topics. We handle very carefully with a mind of goodwill, integrity. Two of them operate together. And then, then it's not my view or my opinion, but that which fits most harmoniously. And this is our culture. It's which gives the rise the greatest ease, welfare, simplicity for the greatest number of creatures and beings. That's what we aim for. And recognizing, yep. Still in the world of sense consciousness, it's still limited. That's the nature of it. But where mind consciousness ceases, there's no limit. That is to be devoted. That is to be abided. That is to be cultivated. Where there's no men and no women. When there's no higher and lower. When there's no monks and no lay people. That is to be cultivated. Then there's no self, that's to be cultivated. There's no holding a position, that's to be cultivated. But of course, operate that's operating now on the realm of sense consciousness, then we have to adopt conventions with a mind based on goodwill, compassion, appreciation and equanimity. This is as far as we can go. As equanimity. We'd like to do more, but this is as far as conditions support it. As we've done with the COVID thing, you know, well, we'd like to be open, but government procedures, health and welfare, community, sorry, 
This is as far as we can go, and then as soon as we can, we open it some more, as soon as possible. Even if it means taking a risk, as soon as possible, we open it. Because we don't want unnecessary boundaries, territory holding, rating self and other to occur other than what's really necessary for the greatest welfare, greatest number of people. This is how one abides without dispute, quarrelling, views, conceit and ignorance. Mm. These states of the Apamano states are to be cultivated. And with reference to contact. With contact as condition, there is feeling. Notice the difference when the is explained with I, visual I, and form, consciousness arises. No choice. No choice in that. Contact happens. I, consciousness, contact, that happens. With contact as a condition, as feeling. This means there's a dependency there. It's not automatic. Certainly it's the base for a feeling, feeling pleasure or pain, but maybe there can be contact where that surge of feeling doesn't happen. And the Buddha, in other instances, says, in the seeing, let just be the seeing, rather than the seen, a seer, the should be seen, what shouldn't be seen, or the proliferation. It's just, uh-huh. What's that? Because there's no favouring or rejecting tendencies, latent tendencies in the citta. So, when there's contact, there's a favouring of some kind, then we feeling arise, oh, that's what, exactly what I wanted. If there's a tendency towards rejecting, that arises feeling, oh, that's unpleasant. There's no tendency towards rejecting or favouring. <laughs> right? It says the image is like a broken gong. You hit it, but it doesn't vibrate. It doesn't resonate. There's no jubilation and no dejection. You say, well, how is that possible? Because actually when it comes down to what (laughs) contact brings contact itself consciousness gives up rise to the sense of I'm in here that's out there so visual consciousness I'm all that's out there and I'm in here looking at it right that's what consciousness does I'm in here that's out there so that's your basis there's contact and then I don't like that. That I want that. I don't want that. That arises. Then the feeling comes in. 
Now you notice it, say, when you're in the Dhamma Hall, you're sitting here quiet, and then somebody comes in here, scuffle, 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 and clunk. Somebody drops something on the floor, right? Mm-hmm. Dong, contact, and then you know, I was just getting into a nice, quiet state, and then, and then you can proliferate. Careless, idiot people, don't know what they're doing, what she What happened? Sound. Does the sound want to disturb you? I'm sure the sound doesn't want to disturb you. The sound has no attitude. It's not trying to be violent, or it's just the sound doing what sounds do. That's what you heard. That's what the ear detected. Then the mind jumped in. I'm in here, that's out there. Somebody out there is making a sound I don't approve of. How dare they? Whatever. Does that have to happen? Could it be just sound, end? Not bad feeling, not good feeling, just... uh If there's no hanging on to the silence, or the idea of silence, or the notion, if it's silent, I'll be peaceful. (laughs) If it's nice and quiet in here, I'll be peaceful. (laughs) Oh yeah? (laughs) Are you sure? It's nice and quiet in here. How peaceful are you when you get aggressive if somebody drops a bottle on the floor? <laughs> How peaceful was that? <laughs> if it's nice and quiet in here, I'll be peaceful. Yeah, if it's peaceful, why are you why are you getting those negative thoughts coming up? It's so peaceful in here. Yeah, if it's so peaceful in the quiet, why are you fantasizing cravings about going somewhere else? And your girlfriend you used to live with ten years ago. It's so peaceful in here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Where was the peace? The peace isn't in the in the silence, is it? You know. So it can't. If it's not in the silence, it's not lost through the loss of the silence. It's lost through the loss of ending of discrimination. And if that's done in in terms of the auditory consciousness, it can be done in terms of the mental consciousness. Thought arises. So, memory arises. So the jitta eventually doesn't bother to bring them up because there's nothing in it. It's just smoke, smoke and mirrors. You know, how much of time we spent recreating a, a past? What? How mad can you get? If it's past, it's past. How much time do we spend recreating a past? Being hurt by it, confused by it, perplexed by it. How much time do we spend creating a future? It isn't here. It's impossible to predict. You know, I had my plans, I had my teaching engagements, I had my and then COVID broke out. Stop, bang, end of that. How, how you know, you all the managed procedures in the world, all the calendars, all the emails, all the negotiations, Everything totally stitched up, bop, gone. How real was that? How much time do you want to spend concocting a future? 
if it's so peaceful in here. It's not peaceful in here, is it? Because of the underlying tendency to crave to become something in the future. To get rid of something in the past that you haven't made peace with. What if there's no, you know, craving for that? It's just phenomena that have got no weight because you're not creating somebody in the present who has no past, whose future is open. There's no craving for being in the present as some independent entity whose mind is quiet. Then there's no problem, is there? And you may think, oh, that's going to be, if I don't try and get hold of that peace and quiet in the present moment, my mind's going to be mad. No, not really. I understand what you're saying. It's probably not a bad step to make. But eventually you just got to meet the past and relax. You know, and say, that was that. All the sorrow, all the pain, all the joy is just, just agitation now. Get over it. It isn't going to change, you know, except you get over it. And all the things we should be and could be and ought to be are not going to happen. Get over it. The craving to be something. What are you going to be? You know? No present, no past, no future. What were you going to be? What have you ever been? All you've ever been is the sense of remembering something, anticipating something, and liking something, and favouring something, and wanting something, and being pushed by something, and remembering. That's all you've ever been. You want to be more of that? Where did that go? So you just start to relax on these intentions. Say, well, if you want an intention, if your mind needs an intention, set up intention, forgiveness. Let it pass. Set up the intention, relax, trust. Future will take happen. It will be painful and pleasant as usual. <laughs> set up that intention. There'll be people you like and dislike as usual. You know, you're not going to find some way in sense consciousness where this doesn't happen. But if you set up the mind of goodwill, you meet what arises without that. Oh no. Okay, it doesn't disturb my goodwill. If it's strong, it doesn't disturb my equanimity. If it's strong, it doesn't disturb my compassion. If it's strong, doesn't disturb my gladness if it's strong. That's what to strengthen. And then you've got something whereby the, the sounds, the sights, boom. Oh well. Mm. You know? I mean, mental things, like we can, you know, miss people, regret, sorrow, so forth, but what are you, what are you doing? What was the person that we miss, regret, worry about? Perception in the mind, isn't it? 
that's all it can be. Now, that may seem a bit blunt. <laughs> you're just a perception. No, I'm not saying you're just a perception in my mind, but all I ever get is a perception. I'm not saying that's what you are, but that's what I get. I can't have it. It's probably not your experience of yourself. That's what I get. So, do I need to make something solid and fixed and I'm a resist or hanker after and hold on to for years out of that? <laughs> or could it be just, okay, I'll meet this in a sense of, you know, agitation or stirring? Or could that be transformed into compassion, appreciation, serenity, harmony, relaxing? Could it be transformed that way? Mm. Cultivate it, because for sure, people you love are going to pass away. People you're fond of will experience pain and suffering, and you'll feel impotent and confused and worried and distressed. Likely. You might think, well, to, to not feel that way would surely be inhuman. Mm. I don't think so. I think one can experience compassion without feeling distressed. I think one can experience loving kindness without being infatuated and possessive. Yeah. This is when the Buddha, even seeing his two chief disciples pass away, obviously recognizing. You know, this is, these were great leaders of the Sangha, still, look in the mind, there's no Sariputta, perception does not arise. No Moggallana, perception does not arise. No sorrow. No experience, you know, so... Doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't realise it's, uh, you know, it's a grave situation because these were great leaders, but still that sense of mm, just there's an absence where there was a presence, there was a, and so. There's a serenity, equanimity is the abiding of a Tathagata. Now these may seem like far off, you know, but just contemplate as, you, as you're around in your day, you know, you see something, you experience yourself as being inside, looking out. In, inside what? Inside a body, whereabouts? And if it's behind your eyes, is that the same person who is behind your fingers when you touch something? Is it a person or is it just a functioning consciousness? Mm. And recognizing that seeing something is very different from tasting it, isn't it? And yet the mind stitches those together into being an apple or a curry. Where's the curry? Where's the apple? Mm. What's there to delight in? 
or reject mental concoctions. So this is the way we, the mind, you know, attention, can be steered carefully. We contemplate the intentions that arise around that. You practice with them. Dispassion. Disengagement just doesn't mean you don't notice something. You just step back from the reactive edge. The reactive edge, you step back from that. Okay. Stirred. Feeling. Favoring and opposing. Are to be relaxed. Yeah. You may think that's difficult. And okay, take it out breath. Come into your body. Mm. Remember where you are. Remember what you can do. What you can do is is immense. property of the jitta trained and cultivated is immense boundless it has no boundaries apart from what we you know create around it and so you know we cultivate this way Uh, noticing when those boundaries arise favoring agitation worrying relaxing that and through the mind of goodwill as a vehicle so let's take some time for cultivation this day we have uh, conventionally speaking we have another day or so of our group practice and uh, this is a great occasion course it's an occasion that like every other convention every other attention boundary is subject to change we've created quite a careful boundary trying to hold it well but it's a supportive boundary naturally that will change and shift really focus on intentionality favoring opposing proliferating and find your way with that